Welcome to Basically Famous. Thanks for joining us. We're your hosts, Shelby and Tyler. Welcome to this week's episode. At Evernorth Health Services, we believe costs shouldn't get in the way of life-changing care. And we're doing everything in our power to make it possible. Behavioral health solutions that also keep your projections at their best? It's possible. Pharmacy benefits that benefit your bottom line? It's possible. Complex specialty care that cares about your ROI? It's possible. Because we're already doing it. All while saving businesses billions. That's wonder made possible. Learn more at evernorth.com slash wonder. Howdy, everybody, and welcome back to Basically Famous. This is Shelby, and this week I'm so excited to introduce a new segment featuring ag in other states and i'm super super excited and thankful that our first guest is my dear friend carrie baker carrie and i met um january of 2020 early february maybe and i was thinking about this and i can't believe that like we haven't even been friends a year and now you're stuck with me forever and we just connected right off the bat um about ag and faith and other common interests and had some great adventures. Um, Her family has an ag operation in Illinois. And so it's been really fun to learn about that and view the ag industry from a different perspective and a different landscape. And so we're super excited to chat with her about that today. And I'll just have her dive in to tell us a little bit about herself. Thanks, Shelby. Hey, y'all. Yeah, now that you say that, Shelby, I'm pretty sure our first conversation was about cows, actually, in church, so. (laughs) Yeah. <laughs> um, hey, all. My name is Carrie. I am a transplant Texan and now a transplant Floridian. Um, I'm currently a PhD student at the University of Florida, getting my degree in agricultural education and communication. Um, but I'm originally a Midwestern gal. I'm from a small town in rural Illinois, and I'm the daughter of third generation farmers, a third generation farmer. Um, I love coffee, cows, country oldies, turquoise, and Jesus. Um, and I'm passionate about the agriculture industry, um, but not just the ag industry. I'm really passionate about um, the health and well-being of the people in it. And I got that uh, from my family, uh, my mom, uh, Nikki, and my dad, Doug, and uh, my little sister, Katie, uh, are still all in Illinois. And my, my dad currently works on our operation, and my mom does too. She also works off the farm um, as an office manager for an ag implement dealer called Berkey's. In Galesburg, Illinois, but um, yeah, the family is still all in and around central Illinois. So. That's awesome. And I personally can't wait to go visit. Yes, love it. Can't wait to bring you. Yeah. <laughs> so tell us about your family's ag operation. We know in Illinois, but most of us probably don't know the geography of Illinois. So if you can help us map out where that is um, and what you guys raise and or grow. Yeah, for sure. So um, I grew up in a really small town, well, outside of a small town called McQuan, which is in a really rural area in central Illinois. Um, and our uh, property slash some of our operations actually spread across two counties, Knox and Fulton County, um, which, while this isn't a great descriptor, is technically in what we call Midwest Central Illinois. <laughs> so for some geographic reference, uh, we're about three, three and a half hours from like Chicago, but also about three, three and a half hours from Southern Illinois, the southernmost tip. So almost right in the middle, um, but a little bit more on that kind of Midwestern side, I guess you could say. 
Um, and our farm has been in the family actually since 1942. So it was started by my great grandpa Baker. So my dad's grandpa. Um, and like I said, me and my sister would technically be the, the fourth generation. Um, so my dad and my grandpa currently run that. Um, and my great uncle actually retired from the operation. Uh, but my grandpa bought that land, farmed it. Um, and then. Uh, one of my, my grandpa, my dad's dad, he actually, um, for a time worked in Chicago for the railroad, but then when he came back, um, he started farming and he, and my dad then kind of took it over after he, um, after he graduated high school and has continued to do that. So, um, what we farm, um, so primarily we're a beef cattle operation. So we raise fed cattle, um, in pastures and feedlots. So when you think about the ag supply chain or the food chain, um, we buy calves at around 600 pounds from like a sale barn. And then they come to our farm and we raise them out to what they call um, a finishing stage. So we raise those fed cattle in pastures and feedlots. Um, and we raise them on our own um, corn, silage and gluten. So we also um, grow corn, soybeans, uh, wheat and hay. Um, like I said, we use our own corn for um, feed and silage, and then our soybeans are sold to an elevator. Um, we sell the wheat as well. We use the straw from the wheat for um, cattle, for bedding and feed. Um, and then we also feed our own hay. So our hay is also consumed back by our animals. So really kind of a full circle, um, sustainable operation, or we like to think we like to think so. Um, unique about our feedlot is uh, we have uh, buildings that house our cattle. Um, and that cattle or those buildings also, um, we get fertilizer from those, right? We get uh, manure and then that fertilizer goes back into our fields for soil health, fertilizer costs and things like that. Um, so a lot of information, but all in all, uh, we raise cattle. Um, we also have, um, grain and soybeans, and we pretty much do kind of all aspects of our operation. There are some folks around us. Um, that uh, do a little bit more custom stuff, but we haul our own um, cattle, grain, and uh, we pretty much do everything besides silage, which we outsource for for custom use. So nice, yeah. I think some Texas operations do kind of the whole three hundred and sixty, right? We're growing crops to feed the cows, feeding them out, and or getting them old enough to send to the feedlot, right? Texas has a lot of feedlots. Um, but our family in South Texas, we don't do that. And so, you know, we just buy cubes and we buy hay and all that. And so it's really interesting to hear more of that, like 360 cyclical nature um, and to get a picture of that. So that's awesome. Um, in addition to that, what are the top commodities of your home state and what does agriculture mean in Illinois? Yeah. So um, our farm actually has a pretty good representation of a little bit of a lot that goes on in Illinois. So, um, some of those big commodities are those grains, um, and all corn, soybeans, hay, and wheat. Um, cattle is definitely big in Illinois. Um, but pork is as well. So, um, actually fun fact, Illinois is the leading producer of soybeans, corn, and swine. Um, so thanks to the Illinois department of agriculture, they <laughs> shared that of information with you. Um, but there's a lot of cattle around us. A lot of the farmers around us um, raise cattle. Um, a lot of them do cow-calf pairs. Uh, we have a, a smaller portion of cow-calf pairs on our operation. 
Um, and seed stock or kind of that genetics arm of things is also really kind of growing in popularity around us just as um, things change and evolve. Um, but I would say that our state is really unique um, because Illinois is such fertile land. So our soil is rich and black um, and we get really good seasonable weather patterns, pretty favorable um, weather. And so because of that, there's a lot of opportunity for really diverse agriculture, I would say. So um, in addition to just kind of a variety of those other grains and crops that I mentioned, there are a few uh, vegetable fruits and vegetable producers. Um, that's not as common around my area that I'm as familiar with, but they do have that. Um, sheep and goats, of course, in poultry. But um, I would say that for the most part, um, mostly cattle um, and then some of those really common uh, grains. Yeah, we appreciate the diversity. Yeah, it's all important and needed. So how would you say that your family's operation has evolved during your lifetime? And I know you checked in with your dad to kind of get some background information after I sent these to you. So even if he chimed in stuff that was pre Carrie and Katie, you feel free to add that as well. Yeah, for sure. I'm definitely not the expert on our family farm. So I did recruit those resources. Um, so before me, actually, we had pigs um, and then I learned that um, soon after my parents got married, those went to the wayside. Um, but like I said, it's other than that, it's all pretty bit much been um, very much kind of a cattle operation and also crops, row crops. Um, we have really grown, I would say, evolved and incorporated some of those like modern best practices um, in my lifetime, I would say that, um, you know, I talked to my dad and he said around 2008 is really when we started diving into um, cattle more so. Um, we started uh, building our buildings that we have now that house those cattle when they come to our operation. Um, we also started renting more ground and really kind of expanding to help um, kind of uh move with the times move forward with the times i guess you could say um and also our family leadership i guess has changed a little bit of course my my great uncle and my grandpa were very heavily involved um and within the past you know five ten years my dad's really taken over um that role and kind of grown um you know when i was little things were constantly moving of course but just at different scales and also at different phases of technology like um, even from our bookkeeping sense, uh, my grandma kept all of our books in like green ledgers by hand. <laughs> yeah. Um, I can, like, I can remember seeing like stacks upon stacks of books and like she had filing cabinets in her, in her house, you know? Um, and of course that's all changed now. And my mom, uh, of course uses QuickBooks and like online sources to keep, uh, to keep our books, um, definitely been, been more, um, technologically savvy with that. Um, and like, I can even remember when I was little, my grandma's was technically home base, my grandma, my grandpa's, um, and they had CB radios, like the guys talked to each other from CB radios and they had call signs and, um, you know, so it was just different, um, a different kind of environment and, and atmosphere. Um, and, you know, we would help my grandma, um, all, when I was younger, all the guys would come for lunch, right? Like they would all come in. And so we'd help my grandma make this huge, big feast. Um, and, you know, five or six guys and, and my family and some of our help too would, would come in and 
Um, and as I got older, that started to change, right? Because generational things change. And also my, she got older and it got, yeah. got to be more difficult. So little things like that. Um, and, um, then it got to the point where, um, as my dad started to take over, of course, um, and my mom did as well. Uh, we started implementing like other technologies into our operation, right? Like GPS and other smart act technologies, um, like automated steering and mapping and things yeah. of that nature. So um, those things have definitely changed as well. I think more, more recently, um, I think it was like last year or two years ago, I was home um, and my dad showed me like one of our tractors that had automated steering in it. And he was like, hey, check this out. This is really neat. Um, and so hopped in and showed me that, and that was just neat. Whereas like, you know, five, six year old me just couldn't comprehend that. So, um, <laughs> yeah, it's just been, it's been really neat to see how it's evolved and grown. We've continued to grow in size as we are able, um, to kind of keep up with everything and, uh, you know, scalability is something that you really kind of yeah. have to do, especially in this day and age, um, sure. especially in the, the cattle industry. So. Uh, yeah, just continue to grow, buy more ground, buy more calves and sell more to, to keep staying afloat. So, yeah, I, it was funny that you mentioned like the big lunches, like we would do that growing up and stuff, but it was only six days out of the year, like our big sheep and goat shearing days. Like my grandma drives over with like the pre-baked whatever ham that you can buy at the grocery store. Right. And then they make all the sides. And so. We would do that, but not quite on that scale. Maybe not as often. Uh, my grandma was a superhero, man. I just, it's just so funny. It's something like out of a book, right? Like multi-course meals. She would always have baked <laughs> goods. The guys would come in. And even if they were in the fields, like we would have an assembly line of like sandwich making. And she yes. wasn't even just giving them like deli sandwiches. She was like a burger, like custom wrapped in foil, like, you know, side dish, veggie, baked good. Um, all in a little, uh, you know, cooler lunchbox, igloo cooler, and <laughs> we'd go and go and deliver them most of the time during harvest, but we would go yeah. and take them to the field. That's awesome. I, I love different memories like that, right? Not only does it mean something about the family's operation, but your family and the relationship building and the memory within that. And so, and you've shared with me, right? Separately, different stories about your family. And so. Um, I love knowing that and that you shared that. Yeah. Because as people know, right, like family and ag is is huge, right? You can't, it's not a one-man operation. You can't survive. Um, it's one of those things that takes a village. Yeah, it does. And even as I've gotten older, you know, and I'm more removed um, from our from our family's operation. But as I go back, as I've moved away to college, um, you know, I usually try to make it home um, in it during harvest is really my favorite time of year. <laughs> so I try to make it back and continue to, yeah, make those memories, ride with my dad in the combine, ride with my grandpa in the semi or um, or something like that, because those are just like cherished memories that I recognize. Um, you know, I may not have many more of those opportunities left to yeah. kind of take advantage of. So um, definitely near and dear to my heart, the actual um, operational side of it is one thing, but the, just the pride of having kind of a multi-generational family operation is something I'll never take for granted. So I'm very thankful for that. Yeah, definitely. 
So as you've hinted, as we've talked, right, you now live in Florida. Um, we, we go back when we can. Um, and it's been really interesting to see and hear how your passion for ag has expanded beyond your family's operation, beyond maybe the state lines of Illinois. And um, right now you're using your knowledge and passion to teach, to work on teaching and inspiring the next generation, which is so sticking cool. And you recently started your PhD and your research is delving into some overlooked but vitally important areas that you've teased a little bit earlier. So tell us about that. Yeah, so as I mentioned, I'm getting my PhD in agricultural education and communication at the University of Florida. Um, but specifically my, my specialization is in leadership education. Um, and one of the things that I am really interested in um, researching or doing work around is understanding how we build capacity um, for people in rural communities to better support rural health broadly and more specific more specifically mental health initiatives so um, my kind of passion is in understanding how we create education programming and health education effort around rural mental health uh, to figure out how we can better support agricultural producers um, or just rural communities in general in that space. Um, I guess my ultimate goal in life would be to create a space or, or conduct work that helps create a space where agricultural producers and those in rural communities are um, feeling safe enough to speak out about the things that they might be struggling with um, or the challenges they face and then be able to kind of meet them uh, with systems, processes, resources uh, to help support them through that time and help them get the help that they need. Um, farming is a beautiful, wonderful occupation, but because it is also so, um, so much in, a lifestyle as well, um, it can really weigh heavy on folks because it's tough and it's stressful, um, and there's a lot of variables that play into um, having a successful operation, especially when family's involved mm -hmm. um, and people's life um, and how they um, kind of survive, I guess you could say, is is part of that. So, um, yeah, that's kind of the, the my area of inquiry, my area of research inquiry um, right now. And what, what led you to pick that? What what got us here? Yeah, so I think a large part of that absolutely had to do with um, growing up in agriculture and also having a family operation. I watched um, my dad and my grandpa do the work that they do day in and day out um, with such passion and such um, just responsibility, right? This felt sense of responsibility. Um, but I also recognize that the hours upon hours of time um, and the investment that they had in our operation, uh, like took a toll as it would on anyone, right? Like it takes a toll on um, my mom and my dad now as we're continuing to to talk through the future of, of our business and our operation and what it looks like. So, um, I was just in, intrigued by uh, by that um, and, you know, had to really wanted to figure out how I could be part of a solution to kind of help. Think about this in a, in a different way. Um, so that was 1 part of it really being so close to it. And another part is 
um, that we actually had a family friend um, who really struggled uh, with depression and anxiety and ultimately um, took their own life. Um, and while that was due to a lot of things, one really heavy contributor um, to that was also kind of farm stress and the state of their operation at the time. Um, and I, knowing that and knowing what I knew about my family just firsthand and could experience myself um, as like secondhand stress, I, I, I figured that we couldn't be the only ones. Like I figured our, our community couldn't be the only ones um, kind of thinking through these things or struggling with it. And the more research I did, uh, I dove into quite a few um, different journals and things that looked at this and the research um, pointed to this being a really uh, big issue and an area that there isn't a lot of research around. Um, there was an, a study that was conducted by the CDC in 2018, and it actually um, was retracted and there was some other um, research that came about, um, but essentially it said that the farming, fishing, and forestry industries uh, were number second for risk of suicide as kind of an occupational threat. Um, and then uh, after they did that study, uh, there was, again, like I said, they kind of retracted that some of, some of that information, um, but even after they went back and looked at the data, they saw that it was, I believe, eighth and ninth uh, for men and women, like risk of suicide for men and women in wow. those industries. Yeah. Um, so definitely, definitely an issue and continues to be um, a really important thing. So. Yeah. And I, the best word to describe the ag industry in certain seasons is volatile. The mark individual markets and collective sales and success of everything varies on so many different factors whether you know different political and geopolitical whatever things that occur um, and we've seen a lot of that recently i think it's more front of mind now probably in the last like two and a half years or so for us just because we're old enough to understand and process it and feel the impact directly right you and i are adults now having to buy groceries and budget and figure out life um, than it was maybe when we were younger um, but different economic crashes and things that have happened with markets, like I, I know people and we have known people as my family who have had similar experiences um, and who felt like they couldn't talk about it and thought the easiest thing would be to leave, to put it nicely. And um, so, you know, so much is that like true grit, John Wayne, pull yourself up by your bootstraps mentality. Um, and the Duttons aren't helping this, but we don't need to talk about Yellowstone right now. Um, and it's, you know, I think the biggest thing is that it's okay to not be okay and to share that. And like you said, someone else is experiencing it too. And just taking the step back to say, hey, can I, can I vent to you about this? Like, it's not enough just to pray for rain. Like, we need the community support behind that too. Um, and... I mean, you and I have talked about mental health on an individual level, not even like within the industry. And I think I've had our own journeys with that, but yeah, I applaud you in this. Um, and I'm very excited because I think, you know, talking about mental health a little bit more, it's become a little more trendy. And like I said, especially in the last few years, and like, I'm a big proponent and a big fan of Brene Brown and her work 
but that's like mental health vulnerability vulnerability speaking up checking in on like a general level not ag specific right like she's from texas but she didn't grow up around ag and that that needs someone who understands it and truly has a passion for it to see that through so super proud of you for that thank you yeah i think that's really that's really important too and you know there's there's really this mis misconception i guess that you know ag is simple right and farmers are simple yeah. um, but like you mentioned the volatility of it um you know my dad my my grandpa you know on a good day they're they wear five six hats right they're meteorologists businessmen mathematicians risk analysts veterinarians um, veterinarians right yeah exactly they're a bit of a soil scientist right um, and of course we re rely on, you know, experts and folks in our community, but at the end of the day too, boots on the ground, um, a lot of that is their responsibility and making sure that we're responsibly and sustainably caring for the land and the livestock, but also in a way that, um, you know, is benefiting, benefiting our family or continuing to, you know, advance the food supply chain. And there's just so many things that go into that. Um, but like you said, regardless of that stress and everything that's compounded, if they don't have an outlet or if there's nowhere for them to turn, um, or if there's not an area where they feel welcome or safe to talk about those things, right? If the, if a community doesn't exist that says exactly that, you know, it's okay to not be okay. And this is a safe space to talk about that. Um, then they're never going to, um, and, you know, even I've looked at, um, research that says even where places like that do exist, you know, we're starting to open up and we're starting to talk more about these things and and provide services and, and have counselors at hand. Um, but if those counselors aren't in tune um, or those medical professionals, those general practitioners, if they're not familiar enough with the ag industry um, to kind of align their solutions with what farmers need or are able to do, um, then they're not going to go back. They're not going to, you know, keep getting that help that they need. You know, if this, if the response is, oh, take a couple of days off work, <laughs> well, I can't do that. You know, like yeah. so, um, understanding how to provide some like culturally relevant and sensitive um, programs and support and trainings that like work for the ag community, um, and that they can identify with. That's that's where I think we need to go. Yeah, that's awesome. So you're going to become Dr. Baker. We're going to, we're Gigum Gators. Yeah. And you're going to help us have all these difficult conversations that are going to make us better, more whole, more in tune with our emotions and ourselves people. Then what, what, what is the three to five year to however long you want to extend it out plan? Once or if I don't know which one I should say I graduate, <laughs> I, I would love to uh, become a faculty member at a land grant institution in a college of agriculture. Um, I really that mission is really right. We teach, we conduct impactful research and that we share that out through extension um, to people in rural areas. So I would love to do that. I would love to continue doing research as a faculty member around this kind of rural mental health space. Um, but I think my biggest motivation behind like furthering my education to get my PhD is to teach. Um, I was so fortunate to have educators that believed in me and saw something in me that made me want to return to school and keep going. Um, and I want to be that for someone else. I want to 
um, be someone that students can count on, that they um, know cares about them as a human being and not just a student and really wants them to succeed. So I want to be a faculty member, want to teach uh, college students and help them navigate uh, that time in their life to help them find out what they're passionate about because I was really fortunate to have someone uh, or quite a few people, I guess, in my life that were that for, for me. Yeah, and I know that you got to do some teaching and lecturing during your master's program when you came to A&M um, and you talked about how much that meant to you to me before. So um, you're very passionate about it. If anybody knows you, that's very evident um, that you want to help shape the future of ag in some really big ways. And I'm super excited to see where that goes and where the Lord leads that. And I'm also selfishly hoping that that leads back to Texas. <laughs> Maybe, you know, at this point, I would love, I would love to end up back in Texas, but I'm keeping my, I'm keeping my, uh, I guess my eyes open for like but I do love Texas. Got a soft spot for it. I try to claim it. I try to claim that I'm a Texan. That's what my license says still. So we'll see. But well, we have a saying in my family, we don't have to make that decision today. So we don't have to worry about that quite yet. Right on. So as we wrap up here, um, I want to give you the chance to pitch anything else, maybe any um resources that you're aware of that you want people to to know about not maybe for themselves or to share with someone else um, in their in their circle that might need them related to mental health and tough conversations. Yeah, that is wonderful. Let me pull. um so a really great resource um, is farm aid. So uh, F-A-R-M-A-I-D.org. Um, they provide a ton of resources for um, farmers, agricultural producers, those in the agriculture industry. Uh, just a lot of different resources about farmer mental health um, or even just community support and services. Um, they have what's called a farmer resource network. So incredibly um, wonderful resource, really recommend. Their entire platform is on supporting farm families, farmers, and uh, rural communities. Uh, SAMHSA, which stands for Substance Abuse and Mental Health Services Administration, also has some really wonderful resources. They have a, a helpline that's a free, confidential, 24-7, 365 day a year treatment and referral information service that's offered in English and Spanish for individuals or families who are trying to get help or refer someone they love. Um, and you can call that number at 1-800-662-HELP for And a new recent development that's incredibly important and I think a wonderful step in the right direction um, is 988. Um, so 988 is now the Suicide and Crisis Lifeline. It's available 24 hours um, through multiple languages, and that is um, an active now lifeline. That's a really short number, easy access for folks um, who are in crisis or who need mental health uh, services. So um, definitely wonderful plugs. One last plug I'll give um, is an organization called AgriSafe or the AgriSafe yes. Network. You can find them at agrisafe.org. Um, yeah, their slogan is protecting the people who feed the world. Um, they are wonderful. They're kind of a, a conglomeration of resources, 
I've done trainings through them. Uh, they offer some mental health first aid training, which I've participated in. Um, just a really wonderful resource as well. So those are some some good ones I'd recommend. Yeah, we've looked into some AgriSafe stuff um, at work. So I had an account there for a little bit and they have some, they have so many different resources and some really neat things. So that's awesome. So our last question, our traditional podcasting question, um, if you had a billboard, what would you want it to say? If I had a billboard, I'd want it to say, do something to make a difference and love on people while you're doing it. Oh, that's great. Do what I can, you know, if, if I can be, if I can take up space in this world, I might as well do something meaningful with it, you know? Yeah, that's awesome. Well, you're definitely doing it already um, in small ways and leading into some really big ways. And I'm super excited, like I said, to see where all this goes. And I'm so thankful you were able to join us for this episode. Um, and thank you guys for tuning in and listening. Please uh, follow the podcast on Apple or Spotify, wherever you're listening, uh, share it out with your friends and your family and even your enemies if you want and tag us if you're listening on Instagram. Um, if you are a follower and live somewhere either in Texas that maybe we haven't gotten to feature the ag sector that you're a part of or in another state and you would like to be featured, please um, shoot us a message and we would love to connect with you and expand this segment into some other states and territories and see where that takes us. Our next feature for this will feature a former coworker of mine whose family has a dairy in upstate New York. And so I'm super excited to talk to her about that. And we hope you'll continue to tune in and do something that makes a difference in someone's life today.